0: Caller in queue. Log otherwise, oh, cool. hold and you will be able to listen to the show. A Hi, Hi, this is Hi,
1: Mildred, Tassoni
2: Mildred, Tassoni Mildred Tassoni with Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Um, I'd like um, to like welcome I'll you, to, you. Um, yeah, to our sure. show. Uh, we're having, we're a having a little feedback, feedback. Um, um, due, um, due um, to a current, current. I'll just I'll shut the phone off. I'll just turn it off. Just, yes, yes too it's too much front. feedback. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out in a minute. Um, sorry time. about, sorry that. about we that. We, we were trying to do to a, a, a group. group conference um, here, and we we having, were having a little feedback. So um, anyway, I'm Mildred Tassoni. We have Jason Marcus here. We have Eileen Collini, and we will have Alpha Jerry uh, throughout the show. So um, I guess the first thing we can do is let's start with some mortgage information, Jay. You want to kick it off, and we'll...
1: Sure. Um, One of the things that I, as you know, I did in um, a presentation this week in your particular office was explaining um, something that's been circulating in the news that a lot of people, um, if they haven't heard about already, are going to start hearing about, and that's called mark-to-market. Mark-to-market is basically an accounting issue um, that, was designed by the government after the Enron-Arthur Anderson situation to make it so that way um, corporations don't inflate their stock prices by hiding bad debt. Now, when they came up with this sort of um, game plan, never realizing that it was going to affect the financial institutions in such a negative way, let me give you a quick, brief, really um, simple explanation on how mark-to-market works so that way you can kind of understand what exactly is affecting our economy right now. Because even though all those debts um, with bad mortgages and everything that's happened over the last couple of years has had a major effect, nothing has had as big of an effect as this rule that was created by Congress. So, just to put it into perspective, I'll give you guys a little bit of insight on what it is. Let's just say today we opened up our own bank, okay? We, I, we have three or four of us as investors. We pull together $2 million and we stick it in an account that is basically set up just as a reserve for us. We open up our doors and we start collecting deposits from regular customers and we collect let's just say 30 million dollars which we then lend out to the community for mortgages everybody we lend it out to we have great credit scores is putting down a decent amount of money and they're a safe bet they're good hard honest working people that are always going to pay their mortgage fine two million dollars in our liquid account versus $30 million that we lent out on the street. That would be a 15 to one ratio, which is in check with the FDIC, that's where they want a bank to be, no worse off than that. But this rule, this mark to market rule, was created basically saying that on a daily basis, you have to account for the value of all your assets. So on paper, like to start to reiterate, $2 $2 million in the bank, $30 million lent out on the street. Problem is, is houses are depreciating. So as the banks themselves are doing their books, that $29 or $30 million worth of mortgages that they lent out versus these houses is now only worth $29 million. So that million-dollar loss comes off of your liquid assets, your $2 million. So with that in mind... That $30 million, obviously, the value has depreciated to $29 million. That million-dollar loss comes off of your $2 million liquid funds. So your $2 million liquid funds become $1 million. Your ratio just went from 15 to 1 to 30 to 1. You've become red flagged by the FDIC, and now your bank's in trouble. All of your loans are performing, all of your assets are still in check, and it's just an accounting issue. And this has been a major, major, major issue in our economy, which is causing, you guys can't even imagine the amount of distress in the market. So what Congress is working on right now is correcting this issue to keep companies like your Enrons and your Arthur Anderson's in check by not completely eliminating the rule, going back to those early practices where stock prices were getting inflated, but on the flip side, to make it so that way the banks aren't going to suffer based on um, the accounting issue that was created. I hope I explained that well, Mildred.
2: Yeah, um, and I think you used a graph the other day that we could put up, too, because that that makes, I think, you people could take a look at it and then um it'll make it a little clearer. It's a little hard to get it first time around on the radio. Um so uh that would be a good thing to do, Jason, will do that later on. Um also I'm sorry at the beginning we were we were trying to figure out feedback. Anytime you try something new the first time and we were doing um this the first time with two of us together so I'd like to say that you can call in at 646-929-1529, 646-929-1529. You can also uh, chat from the website. We've got a chat open if you'd like to do that. Some people don't like to or can't call in. Um, uh, Eileen, are you there? I'm sorry. I, it was a little hectic at the beginning. Are you there?
0: I'm still here.
2: Hear, hear oh, okay, good. Okay. What we'll do now, I'd like to introduce um Al Jerry Jason, we'll kinda of do this round table as we go along, okay? Sounds good. Um uh, this is uh Jerry. he's from New Hyde Park. And Al, if you'll introduce yourself and then we'll we're gonna have to mute back and forth a little bit here, but uh introduce yourself, give a little of your background, and then I've got a few questions to get going. Okay. Well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Okay, there you
3: go. Good. Thank you very much, Mildred. This is Malcolm Berry. I'm a financial advisor and insurance agent at New York Life. I've been in the financial industry now for 22 years. I've also had my CPA exam. I have an accounting degree. So I have quite a bit of background experience with this. I've actually been a resident here from New High Park for about 37 years. And um, I'm in the profession where I like to help people, and that's why I'm participating here today people.
2: Um, okay, so the first question that um, I want to ask is, um, oh, hold on, let me get to my, um, why do you need to buy insurance? Why should people today buy insurance? Especially real
3: estate, but all kinds of insurance. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, obviously, if your family depends on your money, money your benefic- beneficiary receives, which is the debt benefit, can help them cover the daily living expenses, obviously pay the mortgage or any outstanding loans, and then it would ensure that your family is not burdened with debt, and then they're not going to be forced to sell assets to pay bills or taxes, and uh, the good thing is that they won't have to pay federal income taxes on the money they receive, so this way it can keep your family at least financially secure if something should happen to you.
0: Yeah,
2: how much um, do you do you think people need? I mean, how if, do you have charts and graphs and sort of standards?
3: Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, basically, you need to get the life insurance agent to help you determine what level of protection is right for you and your family, and that's going to be based on your financial situation and income and debt. So it's a case by case study. You can't make a general statement. You need to meet with people individually and go through their financial situation and income, and that's how it's determined. How much coverage you should take um,
2: another question I know we get asked sometimes is what is an annuity
3: yes they have several different types variable annuities and fixed annuities and one of the advantages on certain types of annuities is that it lets you receive payments for the rest of your life or your spouse and this feature offers protection against the possibility that after you retire that you will outlive your asset and with an annuity it will continue to pay for the rest of your life so there's several different types uh, which, again, I've to meet with individual people and see which is the appropriate one that works for them because we have fixed annuities and variable annuities.
2: Okay. And um, you want to just go over, you hear about uh, long-term care insurance, like should you have it, do you need it. It's, again, everything's so complicated, and that's just one more piece. So if you could give us a little overview on that.
3: Sure, thank you. Yes, yeah, policies help you cover nursing home care, Assist, assisted living facilities, and professional home care services, and adult day care centers. So, long-term care insurance is the way to protect your assets and retirement income. Because if you should retire, the last thing you want is to be using all your assets and retirement income to take care of you because of physical ailment. With the long-term care insurance, it would cover you.
2: What? Um, when should people? When is the first they should be thinking about this, and when is the latest that someone can get um, long-term health care?
3: As you can understand, obviously, the older you are, the higher the risk that you would go into long-term care insurance, so the rates will be higher. So typically, it's best for somebody in the age range of the 50s, 50 to 60 years old is a good time because the rates will be lower, and you can get the protection quicker. I mean, obviously, the older you are, the higher the rates would be.
2: Okay. Um, well, I think that's uh, – Jason, uh, Eileen, do you have any questions about that or questions that you think you get from different people?
0: Not
1: at not at this point. Yeah, uh, in my case, uh, obviously, since I'm when I'm talking to people, a lot of times, obviously, one of the uh, questions that I have, and they always all look towards me as I'm explaining to them, because I'm dealing with their largest asset that they're ever going to um, deal with in their life, being their house. I get a lot of those questions, and. A lot of times, when I'm sitting there breaking down people's portfolios, because um, naturally they have to disclose everything that they have, I see what missing pieces um, are basically have not been dealt with, especially because a lot of the people that we're dealing with, you know, are late 20s, early 30s, um, first time home buyers primarily, or even those people that are now getting their dream house and, you know, they have the one or two kids and they're in their you know, late 30s, early 40s, um, most people, strangely enough, don't address the um, life insurance side of things. So a lot of times when I'm speaking, and I had this conversation this week actually, where I'm looking and I see that, you know, they have the IRA set up and they have the 401K set up, um, but my company also, we really pitched Going out there and having those discussions about um, financial planning and getting your insurances put in place. And one of the things that I learned, and um, Al, you can tell me if I'm correct on this, is that when your base, if when you set up your life insurance policy, when it's time for your children to go to college, um, they don't look at that as an asset. So making it obviously have them qualify for more um, student aid. Uh, am I right on that end? Well,
3: I'm glad you brought up that point. Actually, the one thing, if you have a whole life policy, which is a permanent policy, and they, say you take it out when your child was born, it does build up a cash value, and you can actually take that money out and pay for college tuition. And it's, since you keep the policy in force, it's considered a loan, even though you are not have to repay it back but you won't get taxed on it. It does reduce the death benefit, but you can pull that money out and pay for college. So it won't impact financial aid or a student, anything.
2: Um, What about people who are um, uh, co-buying a home together that aren't related, are related, but um, they're both on the mortgage or investment properties? how would – what type of insurance should they get something, you know, a life insurance policy to cover in case something happens because they are part of the original, um, you know, buying of the property together?
3: Yes, they could because you think about it is if I wanted to take a policy on myself, I'm the policy owner, I can make military my beneficiary. So, yes, if, you know, if you buy a house with a friend or – a cousin or something, yes, you can take a policy and make that person the beneficiary, and they can do the same thing. So if something should happen to either one, you wouldn't have a big financial problem.
2: Okay. Do do many people do that? Do you recommend that, or is that something that...
3: Yeah. Actually, I've met with a few just newlywed couples who just purchased a home, and they're very young, I think mid-20s or late-20s. For them, based on their age and their health conditions, they can get a good policy... For a good rating so they're not paying much in premium and again it offers protection for the other family member that if something happens you know we understand that something happens to one member the other might not have enough money to pay the mortgage and might be in a big financial crisis so
2: okay yeah i never thought of that until you guys we were just talking about it so um what i'd like to do now if that's okay eileen do you have uh anything that you'd like to what's your topic of the day? We'll do that, and then we can have a discussion on some um, uh, things as far as local community drives things like
0: that. So well, Mildred's I mean, just really give... encouraging people to, you know, continue to read their labels um, and, uh, you know, look at the front and the back of the labels, make sure that um, there are no toxins in there. Uh, and try to go as green as they can. There's a lot of new products that are out in the supermarket. You know, I encourage, you know, the, the product that I've been using, you know, for years. But, you know, everybody has to make their own choice. But I encourage them to make a healthy choice because it's so important. You know, these toxins are linked to, you know, so many psychological problems, birth defects, uh, reproduction problems, uh, allergies. So you know, just to continue to you know encourage people you know to use the safe cleaners, you know, and to remember you know that you want to use something that's healthy for the environment, but also healthy for us.
2: Uh, I know last time you were talking about um, a baby wash that was you know on the front it's for babies and on the back it it was saying how toxic it was. Do you yes, know the front
0: it? of the the front of it says uh, natural oat formula, tear free. Helps calm babies before bedtime. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look in the back, you know the uh, the safety warnings are: keep this product out of reach of children. Do not use without consulting a doctor if a child has asthma or allergies, or if there is a family history of either. And serious breathing problems could occur. So the front puts them to sleep, and the back puts them in a coma. Right. <laughs> you know it's uh, you know you really need to read the label. Um, and I know you have some information posted on the site. Um, you know, listeners can feel free to give me a call. I'd be happy to talk to them about it, you know, and, uh, kind of, uh, you know, lead them a little bit into, uh, where to look and where to get alternative products.
2: Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just give a little bit of your background, your bio too. I just because at the beginning we didn't get a chance to do that. I know you work with Shachley, right?
0: I work with the uh, Corporation. It's a global mm-hmm. health and environment business. Um, I actually got into Shackley... Um, through a friend of mine that I was working with at the time. Um, I'm a naturopath. I practice nutrition and homeopathy. And I was really looking for a good a good product. Um, and, uh, you know, the bottom line is as a practitioner, you're only as good as your results. So, um, you know, I find I, I combine the natural ingredients you know, with an alternative, you know, uh, healthy lifestyle. And, um, it, you know, it just really works well for preventing disease. You know, one way or the other, you're going to pay for your health. You're either going to pay for your health on the front side, you know, by taking care of yourself or you're going to take it, on, you know, and, and enjoying good health or you're going to pay for it on the back side with um, diseases um, and uh, and bad health, you know, and hospitalization. So one way or another, you're going to pay for it. Um, yeah.
2: What would you say would be the best? Uh, the, what, what would you be say would be the most common offender that if you that would help eliminate a lot of things? Like is it um, bath cleaner, you know, or is it uh, you know um, dish kitchen cleaners? Is there one one area where they use um, it's just a lot of toxins right off the bat?
0: Absolutely. Um, chlorine is the number one cause of childhood poisonings in the U.S. Hmm. One. Um, and, you know, you can very easily avoid the chlorine by using one of the healthy alter- alternatives. That, you know, the Shackley uses, our pre- premier product is the Basic H-Squared. Um, that, depending on how you mix it, can be used as an all-purpose cleaner or a window cleaner. Um or a uh, an oven cleaner and a a, a, um, a degreaser, and it really depends on how much product that you use. Four drops and 16 ounces of water, you know, creates a a, win- a window cleaner and a glass cleaner that cleans better than anything on the market. In fact, at the uh, street fair in New Hyde Park, uh, with the Keller Williams booth, we were you know really being the you know the organic. Um, you know, realtors at that at that fair, and we were cleaning eyeglasses with our cleaner. And we had people coming to the booth, and they were bringing their friends and family back because they didn't believe them how clean the glasses got. So, you know, it, it far surpasses anything that's on the market, and it's so much safer. And it's so much more economical. You're only using four drops. Um, the oven cleaner, we use, it's, it's a... Um, it's a cleaner called at ease. It's made from crushed cherry pits. It smells like bubble gum, and it cleans the, you know, the or the, the oven better than an easy off. Um, uh. So you, you want to use products that, that are safe but also effective. You know, as um, much as I, I th- love the environment, I don't want to run around with dirty clothes or a dirty house because I'm saving the environment, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this this product cleans, and we're getting a lot of rave reviews from it. The company's been around for 50 years; they were the first green company, so they really know what they're doing, and they test the products. It's made with and, coconut, the basic H is made with coconut surfactants.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a way to. Um, I know yours is; these are excellent, and and there are others too. So it's not just one. So if you, you can get information on the website, but you can if you have one you use. I think because of, you know, cost and you can't really almost just throw everything out, just pick one, pick a product, try it, see what it works best on, um, and uh just start. I think that's the best way to to get going and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You can still use some of your other products as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just pick one and start to be aware if you're buying something that it's got a lot of chlorine or if you know you it it bothers you you know um i do want to make this disclaimer this the show is not intended to offer offer legal advice these are for educational and informational purposes only um it's not intended to create uh it's intended to provide information so um i just wanted to do that disclaimer mm-hmm. here since we do have you know we have opinions and we have uh uh information so that's that's that piece out of the way. Um, the next thing I'd like to talk about, um, do you have any questions, um, Al, uh, Jason, on products? or?
3: Well, actually, just that one thing she mentioned about chlorine reminded me of a situation, a friend of mine. He was cleaning, and uh, I don't know, well, this was a couple of years ago, he mixed chlorine with bleach to help mm-hmm. clean his floor, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, he was hospitalized.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you
3: know, at the time... And not that David commented, you could never mix those two ingredients. He just figured if you mix those two liquids, that it would be even a better cleaning environment. So, yeah, it, it's good you brought that up because I don't know if it's
2: Yeah, and and they're powerful chemicals. I mean, there's nothing wrong with chemicals. It's just proper use and how much do you need in your home, and it, can you do it another way without something so strong? Right. So.
0: The organic um, chemicals, you know, you, you know, the organic cleaners you can, can mix. I don't know about other companies, but with this company you can mix them. They're not going to be a problem. Um, you know, you also want to look for something that's concentrated because the less you buy, you know, of that, that particular uh, product, the, you know, the less you're putting into our landfills. So you want to get something that you can keep mixing yourself It's much more economical and it's safe for the environment and another factor because you're not, you know, you're not throwing all these plastic bottles away. Yeah. Um okay, I'd like to switch
2: now and we can, you know, make any closing comments or really any comments if you think of something going on. Um I'd like to just talk a little bit about um our technology of the uh of the show. Um just to go over a few things that you can do in Facebook. We've picked Facebook just to start with because we have um a lot of people using it. So, um and I was putting together a training class this week and i realized there's two things if you're if you're going to start to use facebook start with a couple of friends just to get a feel for it um and there's uh you you have the wall and some people write messages and like all their friends to know everything um but you must realize that if you post something on the wall A lot of people could see it. So if you have something you want a lot of people to see, put it up there. You can send an email to just one or two people so that if you want to say, um, you know, let's check our calendars, um, you can just send an email to that person. And you go to Facebook along the top profile, and it's got an inbox. And that's where you'll have everybody that you know um, that you can send a personal email to. And I know I have mine set up, so it goes to my phone, so I can answer and you can and it it's just a lot easier. I do think it's good because you don't have to be storing everybody's email address. I think this is one benefit because I've been meeting a lot of um people at on the Facebook where that i haven't seen in a long time, and it's very exciting, and you're not trying to maintain email addresses. I think that's good. There's another thing along the bottom. There's a bar where it says applications. And that's where you can create photo albums, you know, groups, create events. It has everything along the bottom. Um, posted items. And you can see if your friends are online, you can even do an online chat. So it's like IMing. It's all in one place. You don't have to worry about your setup. You just go right to Facebook. So those were a couple things, you know, Facebook tips that I thought would actually be useful um, going forward. I know one thing I get I have from the Pearl Theater um, that they send out announcements for events. And we also have another concert um, by a friend of mine that's at at Columbia, is going to be in Columbia. So that I have posted up there. And it's a way to get items out. Um, I know everybody's trying to figure out how do you do business? Is it personal? Um, there's different opinions. Um, but I think uh, it's a good way to get started. Put some po- po- photos up. Do something just so you get comfortable and, and slowly add, ease into it. And I think then you get a comfort level and it can be useful. Um, anybody have any comments? Well, something I know, Eileen, you've been working with people in Italy. You want to tell us about that?
0: Uh, yes. I um, I got on Facebook that um, you know, as a social marketing tool and um, I received an invitation from um, Michael, I think, Collini. <laughs> um, who uh I thought was in the US so I just, you know, wrote back to him um, because uh you know, there's not many I thought it was the only collini in the whole world. So I ended up um, contacting all the collinis on Facebook and I find out most of them are in Italy, and uh, we're not related, but it's wonderful because um, I'm now, um, you know, on the Italian Facebook, and I find they're much more social than the Americans. I'm getting more um, more um, um, memos and postings from them than I am from the American side, and it's just, it's, just, it's very interesting um, to be able to talk to people worldwide. I also connected with a couple of high school friends. Um, and, um, just connecting through friends of friends of friends. And it's just amazing, you know, how many contacts that you can make. If you're using it for, you know, Facebook was actually a social marketing tool, and a lot of people are just getting on to socialize, which is great. But, um, it's, you know, it's a fantastic marketing tool. There is a, um, a Keller Williams agent in North Carolina who contacted me, and, immediately she put me on her mail list and i'm starting to get a lot of emails. so she's using it as a very effective marketing tool she's getting all her friends on facebook and marketing you know her her uh, keller williams uh, real estate newsletter to them via email
2: Um, i have a friend who's written a book and he has his book up there and i'll mention it next time once i get his okay to do that i would think so but um... Uh, So I wouldn't have known that he wrote a book if I hadn't seen it there. I know we saw a very interesting um, uh, show with Charlie Rose that had the founders of MySpace on. And MySpace is um, a revenue generation model. That was how it started in the beginning as well. And um, they have a business area, which I I tried to look, but I, I didn't see it right off the bat and um so but that's that's a model that they're um uh working on to generate revenue. So we'll have to keep our eye on that to see how to use that as well. Um yeah,
0: Mildred, do you, if you have our names, you know, on the website for anybody who's listening, you know, and, and they're a little too shy to call in, put our names up and you know, invite them to, you know, to join us on on uh, on Facebook. Okay, all right. So no, come in, be idea. our friends and mm-hmm. uh let us know that you you know, you're listening to us on the show so we can maybe get some dialogue. I promise we won't mention anybody's name on the show. <laughs> right. Unless you want to. Unless you want um, to. Um Yeah.
2: Um now you know, I now I so that's our uh technology segment for right now. I noticed we have somebody on the chat but um they haven't I haven't responded yet, but they're they're logged in on the chat line, so um, just let us know if you have a question. Um, now I'd like to switch to community events. We have some community events to talk about. Um, one is the Homeless Coalition is holding a vigil on the 12th in Farmingdale. And, um, they are requesting new items. We have everything up on WelcomeToTheNeighborhood.com. It's right up there. You can click. At WelcomeToTheNeighborhoodNY.com. Sorry. Um, and you can get what information. They're looking for mainly new things that night that people will bring, and then they'll be given right that night to charities uh, and service groups that will distribute it to people, Hi- high-risk people, people. It's been cold, people who need need things. So that's, that's one event. We've got Keller Williams Realty, Greater Nassau. We've got our coat drive that we are still collecting coats um some of them will go after this Thursday event is just new items but um afterwards we'll, we we give to Anna House in Elmont which is a daycare center we give uh to Lutheran Social Services and they do again high risk um pe- people who need and there's a great need there's the cha- racetrack chaplaincy of New York which is at again the racetrack um And then we will be able to give some of these things to the uh, homeless coalition for distribution to um to groups that are five o one c um and get so that we get we take things in and we get things right to the people so the vigil is Thursday night between six and eight in farmingdale so um al I thought it was different. i 'd like to switch now al was um We were chatting about this, and he mentioned how he ran a food drive himself at one of the local supermarkets and then just brought the stuff to Island Harvest. So you want to tell us a little bit about how you did it, you know, was it easy, you know, what you saw, you know, just a little information on that because sometimes people, like, they want to do something, they don't think they can do something, but they can. So you want to just chat about that a little bit?
3: Sure. Yes, very easy. Very easy. All I did was I reached out to Island Harvest and I told them that I wanted to do a food drive at the local supermarket, the King Cullen here in New High Park on Jericho Turnpike, right next to the Dublin pub. So I told them I was going to do it and that was it. I went to this supermarket. I handed out flyers to people coming in and we've got, think about 90-something pounds of food and about maybe $50, $60 in donations. And I just put it in the boxes and I dropped it off. In the, they're located in Mineola. And I just drove it out there and I gave them the food. And they were very surprised because they're the ones who usually run the food drives. This time I just figured I'd do it myself. I mean, you know, it's very easy. We just stood out. I mean, it was a little cold. My wife and I stood out there for a little while. But we were very happy to do it because it's very sad to think about so many people on Long Island that don't have food to feed their families. We've done several of them.
2: Um, did you, how did King Collins, you just go in and talk to their management and they were fine with that or did they have to get approval or? Yeah,
3: you know, all I did was uh, I went in, I asked to speak to the store manager and I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, fine, they were fine with it. And they supplied me the boxes to help, you know, get the food, you know, so I can store it and drop it off. So they were very accommodating. There was no issues at all. They said, Definitely.
2: Oh, good. Because I know sometimes you, you hit the wrong person. I, I people have told me where they want to volunteer, and if they don't have a, a particular cause or they've just moved in, they don't know how to hook up and do something. And they've gone to just some agencies, and they've said, "No, we don't need any help." Or um, uh, food food banks or food pantries, and they're saying, "No, every, you know, around Thanksgiving we have enough help," and then people don't go back. So. Um, that's why I was wondering, it sounds like they made it very easy to do. And something like that, again, it's going to go right to the people that really need it. So, um, uh, yeah, you want to talk about now you're running, you're working with one through um, your company.
3: Yep. Yes, I um, decided recently, I think it was Thursday, I want to do another food drive. I want to do that work because the company does the Toys for Tots during Christmas time, and I thought, be a good opportunity to do some for Island Harvest. So I went there Wednesday or Thursday and they gave me the food bucket and I have it in my office. I sent the email to I believe about two hundred and twenty people or so and I sent the email out starting at Monday morning. So I have the food bucket there and also a little can for cash donations. So I'm doing it for the whole week.
2: Oh good. Okay. See so it is so did you have to check with your corporation? So you checked with corp
3: Yes, I checked with the managing partner there. And he said, fine. I mean, he's a a great guy. He's the managing partner at uh, the Melville office, really nice guy. He said, definitely. Not at all. He was very happy that I was even doing it.
2: Yeah, and again, I'm bringing that up because a lot of us who have done things like that, you know, if we we get a no, well, we just figure out where we get a yes. But it's easy. People want to help. You know, sometimes you think, oh, there's too much rigmarole to uh to get involved. But um I think that's a good example on how you can do something and uh so jump in. Just jump in and do it. Um okay. So uh Jason, do you have uh anything else you'd like to chat about um as far as mortgages? I know the first topic is pretty heavy first thing in the morning, but uh uh I, I I think it was well worth it. It made a lot of things clear. You know what? I was telling actually telling somebody about, you know, the conversation. And then I couldn't remember the piece of what's going to stop that, you know, alleviate the situation. That was the piece I couldn't remember. Do you know what I'm talking um, about?
1: Yeah. When you there's one of two things like if we just did nothing right now and just left it as is, One of two things, neither being much of a solution um, to the problem, and this is why we're in this scenario to begin with on the accounting end, Um, the solutions are you can sell the the assets to obviously get that ratio back down to that 15 to 1 ratio, but the problem is you're going to sell it at a loss. So that's not going to help the banks out at all. All they're going to be doing is adding to their accounting losses, which is not going to wind up solving the problem for them. Um, So with that being said, there's not really an option out there except to try to change the rules to get this thing back on track. What'll wind up happening when they do um, alter this rule a little bit and kind of, you know, half keep it in check, but half make it so that way it's not going against your books in such a negative manner. This should instantaneously spark everything back into motion so right now as I was saying at that meeting when I was speaking about this in the first place we really 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 more than ever need the government to put their political nonsense I'm doing this on this side I'm doing this on that side mentality away and just come together and try to meet the middle on this one and get it done immediately because if it's going to be the normal same old nonsense where it's I am not doing this just to you know spite you guys it's got to they got to do away with that right now they they have to if nothing else address the issue the biggest problem as most people know and me and Eileen were actually talking about it this week is that they tag these other things they want to get done to these bills to try to sneak legislation that they're trying to pass on the, in their own, let's say, um, districts through and adding it to these you know, these major bills to try to get other things they want on their agenda to get accomplished. And at this point in time, it's like, guys, stop. Stop with the nonsense. Stop with the politics. Let's deal with this particular problem. Tag your nonsensical things you're trying to get passed to some other bill. But please, for the love of the American people, let's just get this thing done already. Okay, yeah,
0: the so the bottom line is just get rid of the pork. You know, I was thinking about the A T V parks that they were talking about. I think they ought to make it ATM park. We just can go in there and cash out on government uh on government and taxpayers money. <laughs> <I> mean, <it's, laughs> pork is ridiculous. You know
2: um,
0: yeah. the bottom line yeah. is help the people out. Yeah.
2: Jason, is there something in this bill that – is it something else they need to do or is the accounting um, fix for, you know, um, or solution redesign, is that already included or is that something once they pass this one then they'll have to, to, to address?
1: No, I mean, right now your biggest problem is, is I'm even on the finance committee, you're getting different um, degrees of resistance based on philosophy. And we're dealing with you know um, and it's it's usually the problem when it comes down to this this these types of situations where um, you, they're dealing with different models in regards to economics that they think are going to work, you know, and they're not coming to any sort of agreement. The first thing that they need to do is obviously formulate a you know a plan that they all agree on, which has been really the trouble in this whole situation. They can't agree on what actually is the smartest route to go. And there's so many factors. Like we, when we're having these conversations, simplify, simplify things. Even with what I said about mark-to-market, I put it into such a simplest um, terms possible to make it so that way the average person will understand what I'm talking about. But it's obviously far more complex. So there's a lot of thinking and there's not a lot of time that has to go into these things, but it's, it's going to be one of those things where it's a trial and error. Like, it may work instantaneously, or it may be something that gets into place and then leads to five other problems that that needs to be solved. But as we all know, sitting on your hands is not going to fix the problem. And the biggest problem that I've seen in the country and probably in the world is everybody's masters at pointing out who's to blame and what the problem is. I'm one of those people, I, in my industry, I come up against problems every single day. I have two choices. I can sit there and focus on who I get to blame about it, or I can just do what I always do, and that's grab the reins and figure out how to solve it. And that's what needs to be done right now. We need, we need people that are going to solve these problems, not sit there and tell me who's to blame for it, because at this point in time, I don't know about the rest of you know America, but I know I'm tired of hearing about the problems. I want to know how we're going to fix them
2: yeah i think uh, I think we're all in agreement on that um, okay, so um I'd like to throw it open to you guys to see what um any kind of question you have for uh any of us technology or um, marketing communications insurance uh Jason, I know you and I disagree about Facebook, but uh um
0: <laughs>
2: uh any technical questions, any, you know, small business communication questions? You guys are per- all quiet?
1: <laughs> I personally like I said, I uh like where you were saying we disagree on Facebook, I use it more as um a social site than to utilize it for business. I'll usually use LinkedIn more to make the contacts with my um, business folk. But I'll tell you, even though I use it as a, sh- as, um, a social site, and naturally I'm always communicating because, you know, going to college, obviously high school friends, it's made it. And all of us, I'm, I'm 33 years old, so technology-wise we've all kind of, everybody uses the computer. So it's been unbelievable how we shrunk down this world because I have friends that live in Switzerland in Italy, in England, and in Hawaii. So I have the access of obviously staying in touch and talking to all these people. But it's still no matter what, even if you're talking about the fact that you're using it socially, I'm still getting business out of it just from my friends. Like they all know what I do, and that's probably the important thing. Is Facebook, even if you're going to use it just like I do, it's just social and not really promoting my business, There's always a box that I leave on there with my contact information, and I make sure all my friends know what I do. Right now I'm up to somewhere in between 250 and 300 friends on my Facebook account. So if you think about it logically and each one of those people refer me even just one deal a year or give me one contact a year, that business itself could be self-sustaining. So I can't promote Facebook Uh, more. I I love it. Not only that,
0: Jason, each one of those 200 people have another 200 people.
1: Correct. So as long as they know what you do, and like I said, like me, it's a little bit different because I got my comic side, and I like to, you know, be funny on Facebook and kind of like use it as like a release to points in time. I'm always kidding back and forth with my friends, posting like silly pictures and stuff, and yeah, it wouldn't be looked at um, exactly as professional, but I don't also in that outlet want to project myself necessarily as professional. I want to be more like on my social, like having fun, how most of my friends know me as on that end of the spectrum, you know?
2: Well, that's why I found that Charlie Rose segment with the MySpace people, um, the founders, and that they're launching their business application um uh interesting because i thought there's another avenue there i have a question for the three of you guys do you when you send your emails out to your customers do you ch- do a special version for the phone do you check how it sees on your phone and do you read your email and um uh e-newsletters and things on your phone al you want to start
3: well, you know, too. I try not to use the emails as much. Actually, I prefer to talk to people on the phone or face to face. So. Uh,
2: and your company, do you do a lot of um, mail, um, regular mail, U.S. mail? Mm-hmm. Yes. As opposed to email. What about you, Eileen? Do you, when you do your Shackley stuff or your Keller Williams stuff, do you, do you check how it looks on the phone, and do you anticipate people using it on the phone?
0: I do. I do check Mildred. I send emails to myself just to see what what they look like, you know, to to the people that I send them out. And I use a combination. I find, um, you know, I I use the BlackBerry and I, I love it. I hate to admit it. I sleep with it. If I wake up during the night, I pull the BlackBerry out and go through my email, um, and then I go back to sleep. But um, I, I find I get a lot of a lot done if I if I use the phone because it's it's always with me and I can respond very quickly. And um, and send emails out very quickly. But yes, I do do a combination. I do have signatures that I use, you know, in in the Shackley business um, that you know probably are a little bit. I use more photos um, and more links than I do with the Keller Williams. Um, but yeah, I, I do check them and I do see you know what they look like because I'll periodically just do a system check. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's an excellent point. Um, when you're setting up your email campaign, whether you're doing it in Outlook. Or whatever, you're, whatever, I like constant contact, um, there's many, there's top producer for real estate. Um, don't forget to, as you're putting it together, to send to yourself to a couple of other good people that will let, let you know how it looks when it comes through their email, and also have somebody, if you can, proof it for you, because when you've done something so many times, um, it 's very easy to have something misspelled and you 're just not going to see it so those are two email tips that I think um, will you know make a, make a difference in your campaigns if you can try and follow them. Um, what about you, Jason? With you, I know you send out emails do you, do you put together a, a, a stripped down text version? Do you check how it is on your phone?
1: Well, I mean most of the um, mass emails that I sent out, I'm on it in my chain itself. So I have, um, I was a BlackBerry guy. I went to the iPhone. Uh, I love, I mean, I love it. I can't emphasize that enough. But <laughs> I, I always see, and Mac is just a little bit different. I mean, the interface on this phone, like, appears as if you were, as. it's almost like holding a small computer because it looks exactly the same as it would look if you just opened up your regular computer and we're looking at something on your laptop. So um, even though at first, when I first got it, obviously I kind of did a couple of tests just to see what it would look like. But now it's more along the, it's, it's a confidence thing. It's just automatically, I know it's going to be fine, but I, any time I'm doing math emails, I'm on the chain itself. So it'll always include me. So I'll see what it looks like. And uh, I can't emphasize enough how much I just love that technology. It's just, Anywhere I am in the in the world, really, I can do business, and that that to me is crucially important. Because me in particular, I'm a, a little bit of a control freak when it comes down to my business. So I like to, even if I'm away, know what's going on um, on the back side of things. And my company communicates 95% via email because we don't want to, obviously we're in a business where everybody's so busy, like processing and underwriting, um, to sit there. It, it really does chop time, just because of elimination of the small pleasantries. I mean, when you pick up the phone, you're, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? How you doing? Everything. I mean, you're wasting time by doing that instead of just getting right to the point. You delay, like as opposed to a quick email where it takes a matter of seconds to communicate information back and forth. So to me, it's, I, I can't even imagine life without it, even though when I first started, it didn't really exist. But I, I also, on the flip side of things, agree with Al. When it comes down to literally breaking things down with clients and explaining out um, the whole mortgage process and stuff, I would rather sit face-to-face with people so that way they can visualize what I do and understand what the... Um, you know, the product that I'm putting them into and understand the finances involved. So that way they can completely grasp it. But all my other business or anything else, be it follow-up and processing and all that stuff, uh, it's all about the email. Yeah. That makes yeah.
2: it a lot easier. Yeah. One thing I've been, uh, working with, uh, MLSLI has, uh, Instaforms and, um, So I've been working with those. Uh, I used to use Settlement Room, but this is part of MLSLI right now. And it's a secure um, – first of all, you can do the forms online. And then – of course, they don't have all of them done, but they're working on it. And then you can – so you can fill them out electronically, um, and you you can store them electronically securely, and they follow the transaction, which is good. Um, I'll be glad when they get all the forms done. 'Cause then it'll mean that you can do it online. And they even we'll ha will have yeah, electronic signatures so that you can be emailing back and forth. But that's kind of phase three. I'm at phase one with this. But it's it's a it's a step in the right direction for all of that. Um uh let's see what else. Uh anybody have anything else that they particularly
0: uh I do. I'd love I you know, I I've been doing a lot of work with foreclosures. I have a lot of investors that are that are, you know, that are looking to invest. So I've been out looking at them. And it Jason, I you know, I wanted to ask you about this and see what you think. Some of these houses need so much work. You know, there's a few out they then they range in Suffolk County anywhere from 59,000 to uh, 1, 1. 1.6 million. And I've been going to look at a, a few of them. My god, they're in such bad repair that I, I don't see how the banks could even ask for that kind of money. The 60, $69,000 and $59,000 houses probably need to be bulldozed. I mean, they need everything. So if, if you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time with my investors, even wanting to put down that amount of money on them.
1: Well, I mean, when it comes down to the mortgage world, a house needs to be functional anybody to wind up even moving into it to begin with so a lot there's two different types of mortgages be it a uh an fha product which is called the 203k to repair these houses before anybody can move into it or um there's another product on the conventional uh side called um the home home styles program which both of them are rehab loans to make the house livable and to actually make it so that way the pr- people can literally design it. There's a lot of rules and regulations to it to make sure that it's accomplishable. But at least this way, you can actually proceed with getting people in a house, even though the house is in shambles. But, but Jason, is there time- any
0: way possible to have the banks come down a little bit on them? You know, as of, as of this week, there's 333 foreclosures in, the, in Suffolk County and over 500 short sales. You can't even get them up on MLS unless you, unless you change your criteria and split, and split the county in half.
1: That's and they're not
0: moving because the prices are still astronomical for the amount of work that needs to be done on them.
1: Right. And that's unfortunately um, – that's something that they're just going to learn their lesson as time goes on where they can't get rid of it and it's still just holding as a loss on their books. And every month that these guys um, hold on to these houses, these banks, um, the amount of money that they're losing um, becomes extraordinary where it's one of those things. It was the same concept with sellers where we weren't moving houses for so long because they were so unrealistic to where the market was at. Selling a property is, is, as we all know, has to do everything with supply and demand. Your house in your mind might be worth 500000 but it's only really worth what somebody's willing to buy it for. And it's the same concept with the banks. If they're going to sit there and hold these houses and nobody's going to buy them, they have to come to the realization that it's value, it needs to, the price has to be dropped for anybody to purchase it. And, See, Jason, you know,
0: these police houses have no copper piping in them. They need all plumbing and heating. The one I looked at last night needs a roof. There's a blue tarp on it. I mean, the neighbors are peeking out while you're looking at them, so I go over and talk to them. And it's just unbelievable. You know, they say it, it the, the whole house is completely gutted.
1: It's unbelievable. <laughs>
0: it's unbelievable, the amount of work. And the longer they stay vacant, the more damage there is to them.
1: And the more damage it has to neighbors that are actually performing that's mm-hmm. another thing that you got to keep in mind and a lot of this has to do once again with what I said mark to market. These banks are afraid if they sell that house for $100,000 under value that it's going to screw up their accounting for the houses that are performing because like I said if the with this rule they're making it so that way on a day-to-day basis you have to report your assets in your portfolio and if you have a house that let's just say is worth three hundred and then you have a house that um, which is paying their mortgage and you're not getting rid of, but a house that next door that just got short sold or is in foreclosure and is getting dished for two hundred thousand, you just made on paper the house next door which is really worth three hundred, now mm-hmm. being shown on a book as two hundred. So the banks are in a catch-22, and it's going to be funny. The more you guys keep on coming up with these scenarios, the more you're going to realize it goes back to -to mark-to-market and our accounting issues that's going on in this country right now. Exactly.
0: I mean, I've been working with an acquisition company in California, and they're just buying up foreclosures from Citibank and they're, they're just calling different realtors in the area. So I've been doing a lot of stuff in Nassau and Suffolk for them and they just want a a price of what the house, you know, the market value is and then a price for a quick sale. So I don't a lot of times they're not getting the bid because there might be some other, you know, um, acquisition companies that are maybe that are giving them an unrealistic price that's a little bit more inflated and, and it's just not going to sell.
2: Hey, um I have a question, Jason. If you, because I, I think I read with one of the realtor magazines where it said, uh, you know, e-newsletters, that said, um house percentages were down 6%. And from a homeowner's perspective, if we had a house at 3, 9, say 400, and house prices go down 6%, do you take off 6% a, a, for the year? I mean, what do they figure their house, if, if January 1st it was, uh uh 400 what is it now can you explain that cuz i think a lot of people that's where when they're pricing their houses they get uh they they want to oh but mine is still worth so what would that what would that be can you do that off the bat there
1: uh you're going to have to rephrase that question for me Milton i'm not exactly sure what you're asking
2: okay Somebody says December 31st, their house was worth 400,000. Yeah. January 1st, and then the house prices have gone down 6% in, in Jan in December. What's their house worth in well, January the thing is, it's, uh, or February? If we go to if we go to price their house now, and they say, oh no, but you know what? I know it's worth 400,000.
1: Well, the thing is, is the, the way that they're figuring out and the statistics is obviously they're just, it's just law of averages. You're just taking comparable sales in that area um, and figuring out that what they were listed for versus what they sold for or things that sold six months ago, it's usually, it would be on a yearly basis that over the course of the year it came down 6%, you know what I mean? So it's like from December to January, if your house was, if a realtor and a professional comes in and says your house is worth 400000 and then those statistics come out, it was a yearly statistic, so it's not going to be like you've lost 6% over a month's time. It's just the law of averages. But what I tell people to do is talk to the professionals. You, real estate agents are the ones that are going to be able to tell you what that number is that your house is going to sell at. So I don't care who you are as a homeowner. You don't know what your house is worth. You just don't. Right. And they they have have to prove it.
2: Right. And that's the whole thing. People, it's like they get a number in their mind and they're just going to hang on to it. And because theirs is better, of course, than someone else's. And the logic, it it doesn't enter into it at the time. We have about a minute left. So um, what we'll do, um, I'd like to thank uh, Jason with. Jason, you want to each give your little closing? How's that?
1: Yeah, your- uh, Jay Marcus obviously, I'm from Continental Home Loans. We're a mortgage bank out of Melville. Uh you can get in touch with me obviously right from this site. And uh any questions by all means reach out and uh let me uh let me
0: Eileen? Eileen Collini, I'm with Shackley Corporation and And Keller Williams in um in Coral Place. Any questions, you can always reach out. Mildred, I think you have all the information on the uh the site as far as yeah. our mm-hmm. contact information. Mm-hmm. And Al?
3: Yes, Al Fulturi, financial services professional insurance agent at New York Life here on Long Island. And, again, my contact information, I'm sure it's also posted there also. So we do a free consultation visit. So if anybody would like to get together with me, it's fine. It's no cost. So.
2: Okay, that's it.
0: Bye. Bye.
3: <laughs> Thank, Thank
0: you. Thank you. Bye.